to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched On the Town. Three sailors wreak havoc as they search for love during a whirlwind 24-hour leave in New York City. Oh, geez. What do we watch? A sailor fever dream. <laughs> Was that That's a movie? what we watched. Was it actually a movie that we sat down and turned on? They committed it to film, so technically, yes. I guess so. Yes. I think we're going to need a guest to figure this one out. Who is our guest today, David? Our guest is a voice actor, producer, extraordinaire. It's Newt Shadokati. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you you seem to be a musical aficionado <laughs> based on our pre-recording conversation. I um I have I have a dark past in the musical <gasps> theater. It's okay. I did theater in uh, growing up in Ohio, um, all through middle school and high school. In my, I believe, junior, sophomore year-ish, I got cast in the winter musical as ensemble. And I was so upset about this. I decided to drop out, write a one act, submit it to my city's Fringe Festival, get into that Fringe Festival, and put it on that summer. I really like this petty, like, drive. <laughs> I really love this. <laughs> That's how it runs around here. That's how it runs. It's amazing. That brings me so much joy. It really, truly does. That's good vibes. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, listen, something something beautiful came out of it. I did eventually return, and I had the pleasure of, uh, of starting the first season of um, the show I currently run during uh, fall 2020, and that was my first year here in college. So what I got to do was I got to go into the theater department building and put up signs and go, pss, 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 all the theater majors that can't do any acting because of pandemic and COVID restrictions. Would you like to learn how to voice act? Come be <laughs> in my show. I'll feed you. You want to come work for me so bad. I know it. And they came in droves. That's amazing. Free food is the way to get a theater person to do anything, really. For a college student in general. Pretty much. <laughs> but theater people especially. Oh, dear God. They missed their Denny's so much. <laughs> wow that takes me back okay so on the town Newt, what was your experience with this uh, particular film <laughs> um so i actually um i love this era of movie musicals a lot because number one it's a fascinating point in both film and musical history mm -hmm. and also because it's uh what i like to call the era of the triple threat on film so if you wanted to be in these movies, you had to be a good singer, you had to be a good dancer, and you had to be a good actor. And we don't really see that much anymore with, uh, with movie musicals or anything like that. So it's a really interesting style, and it's just fun. Like, it's cheesy, it's corny, mm -hmm. I know, but it's so much fun. And they're so beautiful. Well, it was Technicolor. I love Technicolor. I think Technicolor is like the prettiest age. Everyone looks gorgeous. There was no excuse for the Marvel movie aesthetic. It, there was nobody could be washed out. All no. the makeup had to be really bright. Like, you know, in musical theater, it's like standard. Everybody has to wear makeup. Girls, guys, non-binary people, everybody. Because otherwise, you're going to get washed out under the stage lights and nobody's going to be able to see you. Well, lighting hadn't advanced enough yet where mm. everybody was still wearing makeup. And, you know, everybody had to look kind of good. I mean... Standard thing I've said, like, well, that movie looks stupid. It's got attracted people in it, so I'll see it. <laughs> this was the area where bisexuals were having a field day. There's so much sexual tension in this era. Everybody and, like, on screen. They're saying 
really explicit things with like just normal words. And you're just like, I love this. This is the greatest thing ever. Well, which way do we go? The way of all flesh, Julia. The way of all flesh. Singing singing in the rain has gotten a wonderful reevaluation these days of like, hey guys, I think this is about a thruple. Like I'm pretty sure, guys, I think I think singing in the rain might be about a thruple. It is. It is absolutely. Thank. I'm. I'm so glad that we've all realized this. Yeah. It's about a thruple. This is what's happening. Also, let's not pretend like Gaby and Chip don't at least have some platonic cuddles on the ship while they're away. Listen, okay, On the Town is the story of three gay men who walk into New York and one of them meets an incredibly horny archaeologist and Mm -hmm. anthropologist and realizes, well, you know, bi people exist. And the two of them never even question anything else. Nope. They walk back on that ship and they're like, well, don't ask, don't tell. Am I right, fellas? And then they (laughs) go back to their bunks. It is wild. I got to say... Watching this movie is bonkers. It's so entertaining, but wow, there's almost no story involved in this movie. <laughs> like, none. It's so bizarre. And then we get a third act summary of the previous two acts. This is, this is all Gene Kelly's fault. That is like, Gene Kelly's fault. Well, actually, <laughs> I'm, about to go, I'm about to come in with the film history nerd thing here. There's a reason for that plot structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in the day, movie theaters, you could come in during the, during the movie whenever you wanted. And people would just like, you know, come in, sit down and they'd watch the rest of the movie. And then maybe they'd stay around for the parts that they missed, or maybe they'd just walk out and... That was how things did. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, Alfred Hitchcock ended up changing this when he released Psycho because he was like, you can't let anybody in before the movie starts and everybody's got to stay till the end because no spoilers. And now we have people getting mad about who died in Infinity War. So thanks, Alfred Hitchcock. But before that day, before that day. (laughs) I mean, that's part of it. but, But also the fact that Gene Kelly demands that there be some sort of a ballet sequence in everything he makes. He had to have the dream ballet. (laughs) Yeah. I appreciate that. I remember the first time I learned about that whole concept about just going to the movie whenever. I was with my grandma in Evansville, Indiana, and we, we went to go see George of the Jungle. Fun. I know. And she specifically asked the, the ticket taker, like, well, can we just go in? And he was just like, what do you mean? Like, well, can we just go in now and then just stay? And then once we get to the park that we've already seen, we just leave. And he's like, well, I, I guess. I, I, sure. I think the equivalent of that of today is somebody saying, hey, let's go to Blockbuster Video. It is. It 100% <laughs> is. And I just remember, like, we went and we started, like, we saw the end. And then my grandma fell asleep. And then I woke her up. I was like, well, we've reached the part that we've already seen. She's like, okay, let's go home. <laughs> It was. I was like, I don't ever want it. Like, I don't like this. This makes this is me the weirdest way to see a movie ever. I don't I don't want to do this. This, <laughs> this is bad. I understand why it would happen, but I was like, no. I am incredibly glad that they kept this movie to an hour and a half because if we'd gone like longer with some convoluted plot structure in the middle of a movie that already has like nothing <laughs> in terms of an actual plot structure, yeah. Literally bring back the tight 90. Yes. And I say this because the movie is not the musical. And we'll get to that when we get to the writing here. 
but this is a very very different story than what was put on stage sure so this is the equivalent of a fast and furious movie in 1949 <laughs> i mean this is grab popcorn sit down and just zonk out That's it's about the true. family it is about the family. It's, it's about all about the, the family. family. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I I like the tight ninety. Yeah, first thirty minutes we found some girls. Next twenty minutes we lost the girls. Last thirty minutes we found them again. <laughs> Let's it. go back to the sea. Now we have to go back to the sea. We'll see you <laughs> in, in ninety days or whatever. <laughs> More like six months. Ah, <clears throat> uh, it's a bonkers movie. I was not ever not entertained like <laughs> that's the most important part is that we have seen movies that like do this and then they just completely fall flat on their face and get boring this movie never gets boring ever no. <laughs> even the ballet the ballet where you ballet roll your eyes and you're like that's it wasn't too long for me to be completely taken out of the story and there's really interesting lighting they kept the ballet tight yes it didn't go on for 20 minutes that was a complaint we had with seeing it in the rain. It was one of the few where we went like that thing goes on so long that yeah. you are completely taken out of the story. And I, I love singing in the rain. Yeah, I loved it, too. But that was a problem. Yep. <laughs> well, the estimated budget for this movie, because the further we go back, the less we know about how much money it cost. Their estimated budget was $2,111,250. Today, that equates to about $25 million. All right. It made four million four hundred twenty-eight thousand, roughly fifty million dollars. It doubled its budget. Fair. At its premiere, the line to get in was the largest in the history of Radio City Music Hall. It became the second largest grossing film in MGM history, behind previous film we've talked about, Meet Me in St. Louis. That lion's eating good tonight. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. And when Arthur Freed's unit because he was the main producer for this, passed through the MGM commissary. Members of the unit of Joe Pasternak, who produced much less financially uh, significant <laughs> films, shall we say, when they passed by them in the commissary, one of them just went, well, there goes the royal family. I don't remember that in the Blazing Saddles commissary <laughs> scene. <laughs> Unfortunately, Arthur Freed had to do some convincing to get Louis B. Mayer to purchase the rights because he thought the show was too, quote, smutty because there was a scene where a black woman danced with a white man. Gotta love old Hollywood. Welcome to the movies. Well, that's not the only racist thing that happens in this film. No, oh, it does not. No, it's not. <sighs> we will get there. But uh, there... <laughs> That is the risk you run. Like, we just finished 42nd Street. We were so white. Wow, this surprisingly holds up. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a lily white movie, but, you know, it's not like they're doing anything horrific. And then we get a whole scene about fucking eugenics in this one. And then there it is. <laughs> <sighs> it also happens to be maybe one of the hottest dance numbers in the whole movie. He's very sexy. Ann Miller is the shit. The but actual shit. <laughs> However, it's unfortunate that it's to that song. Let's talk about the writing. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Here. There was writing? There was, surprisingly. <laughs> okay. Some of it was even spoken. Uh, a little bit. I don't believe it. <laughs> 
Our writers for this movie are Adolph Green and Betty Comden. They are notable Broadway writers. They wrote Billion Dollar Baby, Auntie Mame, Bells Are Ringing, and wrote the book for this. Now, when they wrote it for Broadway, Leonard Bernstein did the score and music. There, there's, there's the thing. Many, many people my age know Leonard Bernstein because John Mulaney in, I believe, his second to most recent stand-up set revealed that Leonard Bernstein was gay, but did some of his best work when he was not trying to be gay. So I can only assume that this was when Leonard Bernstein was having his weekly crisis. <laughs> Here's the problem. Because Mayer hated the musical and other executives hated the musical, not just for that reason, but mm -hmm. they just also hated it. They decided that they were going to wholesale redo everything, getting rid of Leonard fucking Bernstein's music and leaving only four of Bernstein's songs. So the only songs that are from the original show are New York, New York, Come Up to My Place, Miss Turnstiles, and A Day in New York. Stripped it for parts. Guess what? Those two songs are the best songs in the damn musical. I wonder why. Huh? Well, it's everything in the first act because that's the setup for the whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. And then our two big dance sequences, which are gorgeously composed. Huh? <sighs> now, I do have to give credit to our main writers, Adolph Green and Betty Comden. They wrote the other songs and they're still really fun songs throughout the movie. You're Awful is fantastic. It's a fantastic fucking song. You're awful, awful good to look at, awful nice to be with, awful sweet to have and hold. You're nothing, nothing if not lovely, nothing if not dazzling, nothing but pure gold. I can't wait for the people who, are, who like every single one of their ships is enemies to lovers to get their little paws on that song. The, the Spotify views are going to go through the roof. It's so Please. good. It is. It's a fantastic song. I love a good wordplay moment. It's not like they wrote crap. You know, for films, before this, they wrote Good News and the Barclays of Broadway. After this, they wrote Singing in the Rain, the yeah. bandwagon, and the film version of Auntie Mame. Okay. So they, I mean, they did adapt all of their own stage work as well, but they did Singing in the Rain as well. And that zippiness is in Singing in the Rain. It's just got a bit more of a story that you can actually deal with. They had a better through line with Singing in the Rain. They took something that clearly was interesting because I want to find out what the musical is mm -hmm. and what the story is with that. Because there's all sorts of songs that Leonard Bernstein wrote. Well, I got wrote. good news for you. Um, <laughs> a revival on the town um, was actually at the 2015 Tonys. I know this because I watched the 2015 Tonys and I saw Fun Home performing Ring of Keys for the first time. Mm -hmm. And now I am the person I am today. Thanks, Allison. Absolutely. But yeah, they did a little medley number at the 2015 Tonys. Mm -hmm. um, it was very fun. But uh, yeah, I believe that you can find the 2015 Revival album on Spotify. There's probably like a bunch of clips. I imagine some hypothetical soul has hypothetically found a version of this musical that has been put somewhere 
Not that I would ever know what that is or where to find it or how someone would possibly put it up on the internet. That would be just terrible that somebody would do that so that people could affordably watch it. Patty Lapone would be so angry. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> Hi, Lapone. Anyway, it's clearly a fantastic musical that they then just completely ripped to shreds because MGM didn't think it was worth the time of day. Can you imagine the fan wars back then of just like, I can't believe they did this to my favorite musical. Can you believe? You know what it, it would be if all the people who are obsessed with Wicked had only had the book for 40 years and then saw the musical. What the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm a wicked musical enjoyer. I'm sorry. Same, same. But I read that book in 1996 when it came out. And then they're like, it's turning into a musical. Huh? (laughs) You can do that? Okay. And then I saw the musical and I was like, this is fun. This has nothing to do with this book. This is extremely sanitized. (laughs) That's okay. It's a better through line for a musical. The other fun thing about Adolph Green and Betty Comden were they were the original Claire and Ozzy on stage. Aww. Aww, that's fun. Sweet. So, fun vaudeville stuff for them. Also, Jerome Robbins gets credit here for the idea for the film. And if that name sounds familiar, we're going to talk about him a whole hell of a lot more when we get to West Side Story. <laughs> okay, Bernstein. Yeah, makes sense. But his ballet fancy free was the inspiration for the stage musical so he gets a writing credit here as well change a word get a third how do we feel about the writing is there writing i mean there's musical numbers they're very good i like the premise the premise is fantastic the premise is fun because it's so simple. Just 24 hours, we're on shore leave, and... And we're in the greatest city in the world. It would seem fun, isn't it? And we've got three very different characters. Like, very different. Are you ready to get niche? Sure. This is why I put the musical on the list. Are you ready to get so niche? I love so niche. It's so funny that before we started recording, we talked about Dear Evan Hansen. Pasek and Paul have seen On the Town. Pasek and Paul have a history with On the Town, because Pasek and Paul wrote a musical called Dogfight. Dogfight. Oh, have you heard of Dogfight? Dogfight. I've heard a little bit about Dogfight. Is very, very loosely based on on the town, but with a really big twist. It, it takes a similar premise of these three guys who are about to get shipped off to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And they are in the city for one night and they decide to play a game called Dogfight. I believe that's what the game is called. I, I do not remember. But it's where they all put $50 in the pot and they have to go out and find the ugliest girl that they can and bring her back to the dance hall. And whoever brings back the ugliest girl gets all of the money. Horrible premise, don't you think, for a game? Uh Uh-huh. And what makes this musical so good and why I am continuously disappointed with Pasek and Paul is because they absolutely follow through on how horrible a thing that is. Mm. And they talk about like, the main guy out of the three, he goes and finds this girl named Rose. Um, she's a waitress in a diner, and he offers to take her as his heavy air quotes date. And she gets really excited. And then she finds out, you know, that it's all a ruse and has to. It's a bit of a coming of age, but it's also metatextually a deconstruction of 
what female stories do we want to tell in mm -hmm. musical theater and in stories like this, you know, who gets to be the, and we're still dealing with this today, the conventionally attractive, yep. you know, thin, blonde, white, Broadway ingenue, who gets to, you know, be important. And there are so many interesting female characters in this musical, one of which she's a sex worker. And, you know, for a musical written by two cis dudes, it is a surprisingly nuanced and kind portrayal of her as a woman who just has this job and is doing what she can during this time period to get by. And it's a great companion to watching On the Town because you get to see the original premise. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to see how this was handled back in sure. that time period. And then you get to see like, okay, well, what does it look like for the people who didn't get to be, you know, the girls in the, mm -hmm. in the multicolored dresses <laughs> on the arms of the oh, sailors? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I've I had heard about that and I was like, oh, that sounds great. Like awful, but great at the same time. I love I love any time a creator will take down their own creation <laughs> within mm -hmm. the creation. I love that. I don't know. I, I think what it is is that because they did a lot of that strip away and they turned this mm -hmm. into what's essentially a popcorn movie, mm -hmm. there's just a tiny bit missing. Like I don't need this to be a two and a half hour musical. No, absolutely not. But like 10 more minutes just so we have a chance to actually make some connections here instead of just going on to the next thing without any regard it felt very scooby-doo at moments oh god yeah which is very of the time but mm -hmm. it was also like we're creating a whole lot of business for not any payoff there's no time for them to actually have some romance go on. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest problem is at no yeah. point do I feel like we've had enough time with these guys and these girls mm -hmm. where at the end of the movie, they would want to move heaven and earth to meet them before they go to the brig to say goodbye. Yeah. Like, we need just a minute to breathe. Wait, if I were going to script doctor this movie, I would kind of do something like, you know, like intersecting stories, you know, like, yes, all three of these guys do decide to go off and help the other dude find the girl. And then for most of the movie, they stay apart. So you have time for them to actually, number one, you know, see New York. Yeah. Number two, develop the romances. And then maybe you get like some near misses, some characters that move in between all three stories. You know, you make the city feel like one that's full of people. Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. And you actually know where the hell you are in this city because <laughs> Lord knows we have no idea. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, cause they separate them, but for like five seconds mm -hmm. and the ridiculousness of him looking for Miss turnstiles in certain places was just like, no. <laughs> and like, I, I, yeah, I love, I love the idea of like, Oh, I met this girl. I think she's super hot and she's interesting. I'm going after her. And the other other dudes just being like okay cool i love the cab stuff i love the cab driver <laughs> she cracks me up and i was like there should have been more of their hijinks throughout the city yeah i, it, I mean she's just so quick to be like come to my apartment and it's like no <laughs> that, that which i love that she was the one literally driving that train but <laughs> no, it's great. It's, it's it's great. This is why we need feminism. It is, but like you don't see that a whole lot. It's usually the dude, and I like that in this very heteronormative world. Of like, okay, the lady was in charge of that one. Well, it's a post-war commentary. Absolutely. You know, like the guy makes a comment of like, "Why are you still driving the cab? The war's over." And she's like, "Cause I like to do it." 
know, <laughs> which is great. You know, it's just then it's like all of them to get it just got it became too much. And it they didn't give it time for you to be like, oh, yeah, they really gave zero fucks, which yeah. is what makes this movie so fun. But also <laughs> every once in a while makes you go, God, can you just please, please take a breath for a second? And the unfortunate thing is they set up all these three, like these three female characters to, you know, have their own little thing. And then the moment all three of them are in the same group, they immediately become like totally generic, totally cookie cutter, just like girls in dresses. I will say one thing I really liked is where like the two other girls decide to like help out Mm -hmm. um, and like cover for Miss Turnstone. All of these people's names are the most like Archie comics shit yep <laughs> how am i supposed to know it's who it's are you bonkers. i'm sweet pea okay thanks shout out to riverdale <laughs> i did like the female solidarity though that felt that felt kind of yeah. refreshing i wasn't expecting that because like they were they were paying money for this to happen and they're not they're not friends Yay. they don't know each other support the girls yep but they're like we're never gonna see these guys again so let's enjoy this while it lasts <laughs> Well, I'll go back to my place. We'll do it. We'll do it Boston style. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so the writing is interesting. <laughs> well, let's talk about our directing. We have debuts for both of our directors. It is the directorial debut of Stanley Donan. Mm-hmm. After this, he directs Royal Wedding, Singing in the Rain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Funny Face, The Pajama Game, Damn Yankees, Once More with Feeling, The Grass is Greener, Charade, Arabesque, Bedazzled from 1967, The Little Prince, Lucky Lady, Blame It on Rio, and the music video for Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. Mm-hmm. He's responsible for the uh, rotating room. <laughs> Stanley Donan. Gimbal. <laughs> we also have the feature film debut of Gene Kelly directing. Mm-hmm. After this, he directs Singing in the Rain, It's Always Fair Weather, Invitation to the Dance, The Happy Road, The Tunnel of Love, Jigo, A Guide for the Married Man, and Hello, Dolly. Yes. What do we think of the directing of this film? I like it. It's good. It lets the actors do their jobs. <laughs> it's very good. And it yes, it services the dance sequences and the few quiet moments they have, because they're not a lot, but they have a few are really well done just the opening of the guy singing his song as he walks to his i think it's his crane or bulldozer or whatever it is i feel like i'm not out of bed yet crane shot for a crane shot it which is. is what i love it's beautiful and it's given it's given like the gravitas of a huge dance sequence or you know the i want song in a musical and it's not it's just a dude be like i'm sleeping i'm going to work now everybody is important in new york except when you want to sit down on the subway then you lick the floor i love it i it's so it's it's so that that moment to me is very cheeky but like it's so pretty. That also feels like a Leonard Bernstein thing. Like that's something because Lenny liked to be operatic with his stuff. So that feels very much like a thing he would put in a musical. 
Leonard Bernstein really interested in filming a construction worker. Let's read into that. <laughs> it's like one of the YMCA. I guys. was just, I was just like, I oh, want yeah. to break out yeah. into YMCA. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. The dots were connecting. <laughs> yes, too, there's just there's too many jokes. Filming dance sequences is hard mm-hmm. because you have to make sure the number one important thing that people screw up when filming dance sequences, you have to get the actor's feet. It's not a Quentin Tarantino thing. It's a craft thing it, because they're making the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Well, also, especially this time, these were the people you were filming in these roles are the ones doing the feet, mm-hmm. which after this era, they started subbing people in too much. So you needed to see the person who's singing at the top is doing the feet at the bottom. So number one, when you have that level of talent, it affords you the opportunity to go much wider. You have Technicolor, you have this huge lens, you're now allowed to go move around a big space and be epic and sweeping with it. Mm -hmm. When you can't do that because you don't have actors that can dance, you've got a tight cut in front of them and it completely changes how you visualize the movie. The other thing is just noticing this. It was like, we saw Singing in the Rain. So I finally watched it and I go, okay, everything they're doing in this movie is a setup for what they're about to pull off in Singing in the Rain. The only criticism I would give it is just that they're throwing a whole lot at the wall and every once in a while it doesn't quite land because they're still figuring some things out. That's really the only thing I would say. I I think that's unfair. Yeah. And again, this is the debut feature film for both of these guys. I'm, I mean, they did very well. I've seen worse directorial debuts. Absolutely. And Gene Kelly, you know, isn't credited for directing a lot, but because he's the lead star and choreographing so much of that, mm-hmm. he's a de facto director in everything he stars in. So like he's got input no matter what he's in. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you see in a lot of the set design, they utilize a lot of stages, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that, and not just because like they're filming on a soundstage, it's because, you know, this musical was originally created to mm-hmm. be a musical that was done on stage. And all of the people coming in were still used to working in terms of choreography and all of that. Yeah. For, you know, a stage. And this is where you see it develop for like, okay, how are we going to utilize the space for choreography and stuff like singing in the rain i love mm-hmm. melvin you know they're tap dancing all over the all over the the couch and yep. donald o'connor's doing make it laugh and blowing everybody else out of the water mm-hmm. but there's definitely little artifacts from the era mm-hmm. of like we are used to filming this like a for lack of a better term pro shot musical mm-hmm. um and it's interesting to see where they try to like make things a little easier on themselves especially with the dream ballets yes yeah yeah it's really good Gene Kelly looks back on this film as one of the best showcases of talent that he ever worked on. He stated in a BBC interview that everyone, quote, had made better pictures than that, but that was the apex of our talent. Interesting. I think this is very much a, we're here and we're throwing literally everything we've got into this. Everybody's working hard and they like what they're doing. Including Frank, who, I mean, Frank is not a dancer. No. But goddamn, is he giving it everything in this movie. And the physical comedy, too, is yeah. very good. He can be funny and cute. It is a group of people hitting their prime, throwing everything they've got into this. Mm-hmm. Whether it, it always succeeds or not, they're putting every bit of effort on the floor. And you it, it forces you to respect it in a way. <laughs> it's got that 
student film energy to it. Where it's like, we're just gonna put on a show and be the best. Don't at me. But nope, not not adding you at all. Um, <laughs> but they just happen to have money and some experience behind them. Well, they also have the energy of we're going to do it because we're going to earn our fucking paycheck. God damn it. And they're going to pay us. (laughs) But but it's got that energy to it. Even if they don't always get it right, it's always interesting. And there's always a lesson to learn in their choices. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They were only filmed in New York City itself for five days. And this is thought to be the first musical feature film to be shot on location at all. Everything else was done on sound stages. And Miller takes credit for begging Louis B. Mayer to let them film there because she had never seen New York. <laughs> nice. Now, fun fact, Cats was actually shot on location. They found my nightmares and they just went right in and hit record. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's Lloyd Webber. That's what he does best. Nightmares. <laughs> I hate Lloyd Webber. He's the worst. Part of the problem with shooting in New York was the weather. It rained almost all the time while they were shooting there. The other big problem, though, was a guy named Frank Sinatra, instantly recognizable for his, anyone in New York and his home fucking town. I love the fact that they gave him the line. I've never been to New York. I'm like, fuck you. This is Frank Sinatra. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it they is get hilarious. points for that. It was just the guttural reaction of like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> really? You gave Frank that line? <laughs> Cities have people they will instantly recognize because they love them, Mm -hmm. and people that if you live in that zip code, it's on site. (laughs) It's just, it's like Frank Sinatra is the most recognizable New York presence in the history of New York presences. Yeah. So to avoid this, the cast insisted they be transported by taxi instead of limousines to avoid attracting crowds. Smart. They filmed with the camera hidden in a station wagon. They actually like tucked it in to figure out to not get people to see the camera. It didn't always hide the problem because, of course, in that final shot in front of 30 Rock in New York, New York, you can see everybody gawking at the three of them because they know Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra are down there. How could you not? If I was there, I'd do the same fucking thing. But I got to admit, the fact that we've talked about, you know, like with our Bond series where they were trying to hide certain stuff and all the links they went to. And I was like, wow, they still had to do that in 49. (laughs) And producer Arthur Freed had very high praise for his directors of this movie. He told them uh, once he had started getting the, the rough cuts, quote, I just ran the cut musical numbers of On the Town, and they were the greatest and most inspiring works I have seen since I have been making moving pictures, unquote. Aww, that's sweet. Uh, that just means it's like, hey, y'all, y'all, y'all are good. Y'all are really fucking good. <laughs> they put on the four consideration campaign. Mm-hmm. Also, you're going to make me so much money. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There, there were the dollar signs. Uh, that, that's definitely money, money, there. Money. And that leads us to our cast. And we start with Gene Kelly playing Gaby. And we have talked about Gene Kelly before, but we haven't covered him in a little while. So before this, he was in Thousands Cheer, Cover Girl, Anchors Away, Zegfield Follies from 1945, The Pirate, The Three Musketeers in 1948, Words and Music, and Take Me Out to the Ball Game. After this, Black Hand, Summerstock, An American in Paris, Singing in the Rain, The Devil Makes Three, Brigadoon, Deep in My Heart, It's Always Fair Weather, The Happy Road, Marjorie Morningstar, Inherit the Wind in 1960, The Young Girls of Roquefort, 
A Guide for the Married Man, Viva Knievel, and Xanadu. God, he was in Xanadu. Mm-hmm. I forgot he was in Brigadoon. I've been watching too much Shvigadoon. It's a problem. I, watch I just Shvigadoon. think Cecily's strong. Gene Kelly's hot. I'm here for it. It's true. I'd hag for him. I mean, he's got, he's got the best butt. He does. <laughs> I mean, there's that. His face ain't bad either. And then he can dance. He can dance so good. He can literally charm the pants off of you. If I were living in the 1950s, I'd look at him and just be like, this is going to make me re-examine my gender presentation. Well, <laughs> time to go buy a monocle. <laughs> I need some Peter Pan collars. <laughs> He's just effortless, charming as fuck, and just so affable. Yep. Like, he always rides that line of, you think he might be drifting into almost dirtbag territory and then yeah. he pulls it right back out being like no i'm just an aw shucks guy i didn't really mean it like they literally do it in the movie they do it yeah and she and then she just turns and looks at him like okay you know what you passed you're literally gene kelly i'll t i'll tap that it's true <laughs> that's that's him in every movie and he just he he doesn't shy away from it here it's it's no different than a lot of the other stuff he's done other than you know he's just supposed to be a little a little more fresh and green than some of the other characters he's played. It's Gene Kelly. What more do we have to say? He's just a, he's just a good, he's a good old boy. He's a good old boy. We are pro Gene Kelly. We stand in this house. <laughs> Sinatra said of Gene, quote, I could never dance, but Gene Kelly made me look like it could. Unquote. He's amazing. That's how good he is. I mean, also he is an asshole, but he's amazing. So uh, like I said, uh, have a Gene Kelly ass and don't be a Gene Kelly ass. <laughs> because boy was he an ass um Put that on your senior quote should be we need that on a pillow then we have surprisingly adorable frank sinatra playing chip of course he was a singer before becoming a movie star just a little thing he did on the side before he really got into actual acting roles he did a number of appearances as frank sinatra or a character named frank i have removed any of those from his credits here so before this, he was in Step Lively, Anchors Away, It Happened in Brooklyn, The Miracles of the Bells, The Kissing Bandit, and Take Me Out to the Ball Game. After this, meet Danny Wilson from Here to Eternity, Suddenly, Young at Heart, Guys and Dolls, The Tender Trap, The Man with the Golden Arm, High Society, Around the World in 80 Days, The Pride and the Passion, Pal Joey, Kings Go Forth, Some Came Running, Can Can, 1960s Ocean's Eleven, The Manchurian Candidate in 1962, The List of Adrian Messenger, Come Blow Your Horn, Rob and the Seven Hoods, None But the Brave, Von Ryan's Express, and then did a bunch of no-name movies in the 60s and 70s before he decided to just go back to singing. He did a lot. <laughs> Booked and busy. Yeah. I love the fact that like in the 50s and 60s, he became a full-on like actor-actor. Mm -hmm. Like he went into dramatic movies. Manchurian Candidate's still one of my favorite movies, and he's great in it. I've never seen it, but I've seen the episode that Gravity Falls did parodying it. <laughs> So I feel like I've seen it. <laughs> it's it's really suddenly is a really fun little noir where he plays a guy who's keeping a family hostage and it's he's really fantastic in it. I really like that he's the Ashucks guy. It's so fun for him in this movie. Be because you would expect at this time for him to be playing the suave ladies man type, mm -hmm. especially as a sailor. But they made him just really like I just want to see the city. And it's it's very cute. It plays into the fact that like 
as a presence, he was always a New York kind of guy, mm -hmm. which is so funny that they try to pass him off as Midwestern in this movie. Because I'm like, you cannot. All of the three guys have New York accents. That's the it's first thing that you so notice funny. about them. But but like Gene kind of hides it about halfway through the movie. Frank can't get rid of it because he's Frank fucking Sinatra. But he as a screen presence just has a little bit of that soft Brooklyn accent. And then he sings and you're like, oh, fuck yeah, he's Frank Sinatra. Like you hear his voice and go, oh, that's right. That's why he's here. Yeah. If, if I were if I were that cab driver lady, I would have like looked been like, is that Frank fucking get in Get in the passenger seat right now. I'm going to make so much money. She kind of did. They could have <laughs> so easily slipped in. You look familiar, like you're somebody famous. They could have so easily done that That's to him. That's restraint. I, I respect the restraint, but I would not have been mad. <laughs> they they got a, a different dig in as a, as a little side note. We'll get to it in trivia. They got a good one for him. Oh, boy. He is by far, because Gene Kelly's just doing what Gene Kelly does best. Frank's the most interesting to watch out of all three of these guys. And like, they're all doing amazing. But Frank's the most interesting because he's really playing against type. Yes. You got to imagine this was like a breath of fresh air. Well, <laughs> he didn't want to do this movie. Really? Yeah. He had to be persuaded by Arthur Freed. The only reason he decided he would do it is he was promised he would get to sing Leonard Bernstein's song Lonely Town from the stage version of the musical. Uh oh. He recorded it and then got pretty bitter when the directors opted not to film that song. They were like, we got you. Welcome to my wine cellar, Frank Sinatra. Come in, why don't you? We have Lonely Town in the back. Pay no attention to the bricks. Yeah, he 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 did not want to do this movie. I mean, to be fair, the the specter lingering over all of this is Anchors Away. I feel like it's almost the same movie as this that was made four years earlier. And it's Gene and Frank and a sequence where Gene Kelly dances with Jerry the Mouse from Tom and Jerry, which we've all seen. I think it's like, I've already done this, like... And he did take me out to the ball game, and he's mm -hmm. like, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> Which, when he does From Here to Eternity, that's his big, like, I'm an actor, actor. I'm not doing the musical thing anymore. Like, I've He's moved like, on. goodbye, Tonys. Where's my little gold man? Mm -hmm. Gimme. Sinatra was so lanky and thin that he had to wear prosthetic padding to fill out, well, that area of his sailor uniform. He wore a fake butt? Yeah, he had to have some fake butt. He got a BBL? Yeah. He was apparently extremely sensitive about the padding and was not okay with the regular set horseplay involving his lower half. I'm so sorry. They were doing what on set? Uh, uh grab ass. Sounds like grab ass. <laughs> this is just like in Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> I mean, respect. His code was so mad. Like if we can't show it, if we can't show our brotherly love on screen, we're just gonna have to dial things up backstage a little bit. Hey Frank, wanna play Ab Tickle? I mean, let's be very clear. It's not great. It's not great. On the other hand, it's Frank goddamn Sinatra. <laughs> if anybody needs to be taken down a peg, it's Frank Sinatra. I mean, listen, if you're Gene Kelly and you're not above that, no, no wonder you're an <laughs> asshole. Come on. <laughs> Um, we're going to mention Jules Munchen playing Ozzy. Now, Jules Munchen's came up through vaudeville and then became a Broadway comedy fixture. So he was a comedy star. He was very popular in the Catskills. 
he doesn't have a whole lot of film credits that are very familiar. Before this, he was in Easter Parade and Take Me Out to the Ball Game. After this, Silk Stockings, and then did a ton of just television appearances. But he stuck mainly to the stage in the vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Wow, he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> he's adorable. What a rubber face. What an amazing, just comedic performer. Was he ever in anything with Donald O'Connor? I would love to see that. I don't think so. I mean, Shameful. The, he was just in he was just in Take Me Out to the Ball Game with this same group. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing is, he really was just kind of a vaudeville guy. And he, he did a fair number of movies, but just nothing that was super familiar. Oh, you know what would have been fantastic? Um, a comedic retelling of Cyrano de Berger, however you pronounce his last name, with those two. That mm-hmm. would kill. Yeah. Ozzy has a really tough job because it's not like we've got a cast of thousands for this movie. We've got a, a main core mm-hmm. and you've got one guy where the comedy's got to rest. He's got to be the goofball for everything. He's so fabulous. And him and Ann Miller yeah. are just like, they've got great chemistry. They have the best chemistry and it's not focus pulling when it's not about them. But it's just like those two are having so much fun. And if they're not, they're, they're the mo- best actors ever. He's never pulling focus. I no. think that's the most amazing part of it is that he is completely Impressive. bonkers and yet never pulls away from everybody else on screen. Not once. That's huge skill. He's really good. Uh, he was so terrified of heights that during the rooftop scene in New York, New York, he had to have a rope tied around his waist under his uniform the other end of which was tied to director Stanley Donan. He said, hand an unlovable hand, bitch. If you watch that scene carefully, you can see him. He is almost always touching a wall prop or other actor because he wants to stay grounded. <laughs> and now we get to our ladies. We start with Betty Garrett as Brunhilde Esterhazy, our taxi driver. The fucking weirdest name ever. That was a choice. So good. Before this, she was in Big City, Words and Music, and Take Me Out to the Ball Game. After this, my sister Eileen, and then she had two very prominent television roles, both in All in the Family and Laverne and Shirley. Mm-hmm. Really? And then did tons of guest starring appearances. Okay. So, But that's what she's most known for, is being in both of those sitcoms. What do we think of Betty Garrett in this film? She's great. She's very funny. The epitome of spitfire. Especially in the um, Come to My Apartment song is so funny. They really pull out the Technicolor with her Mm -hmm. eyes and like how light blue her eyes are to make them pop. Mm -hmm. It's great. Where Frank Sinatra has to feign shy. And the, uh, the best part of that song is when they stop the music and he's like, what for, how you do why? Like, (laughs) they stop the car. He slumps down in the taxi because we don't have seatbelts. It's 1949. Well, he slams. He like almost goes for the (laughs) airbag zone. And then like does the most jumbled up words ever. Uh, The whole sequence is so good. And she's just like, you're coming home with me now <laughs> did you stop for hey what that ain't the highest spot since that old guidebook state they built the empire state come up to my place let's go to cleopatra's needle let's go to my place let's see wanna make a store let's go to my place let's go to lindy's go to lucha go to my place let's see radio city and herald square let's go to my place go to rubens go to my 
to Macy's, go to Roxy, Hoistus, Gimbal, Flatiron, Building, Capco Jones! My place. You're my little meow meow. Come on. <laughs> I am going to enjoy Fleet Week here, okay? <laughs> Do not ruin this for me. This is for me. <laughs> I'm here for it. And I, I, so good. It's again, and she's, she's kind of got a tightrope walk to do here because she's, she's clearly a very uh, forthright woman. She's like, I'm going to go after what I want, but like, it's so attractive. It's not weird. It's not weird. It's not manipulative. It's just like, you mean this is going to happen. It's refreshingly honest and like, you know, imagine you're this Navy guy and you're mm-hmm. expected to be like the swashbuckling, like, oh, ho, ho, hello, ladies. And suddenly this just like taxi driving, screaming woman is just like, you, me, let's go right now. And you're just like, well, I'm, I'm about to invent feminism, I guess. The other hard part is they play the other two women with a little bit of glamour and they don't for Brunhilde. Now she is gorgeous. She's just as gorgeous as the other two, but they play it like, I don't know about her. And what you realize is it's not that she's not pretty. It's that he's like, she's really in my face. Like I'm not ready for this. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic. She is. The reason that she doesn't have more credits is she was actually one of the biggest victims of the HUAC hearings. Um, Her husband was blacklisted for being a member of the Communist Party, and she got caught up in that as well. He never really made a return back to cinema very much. He wrote a few things, but she got those sitcom roles and managed to have a long TV career through the 70s and later. Mm -hmm. And she is Jeff Bridges' godmother. Aw, interesting. So we next move on to Anne Miller playing Claire Huddison. She is... Widely considered one of the greatest tap dancers of all time. She claimed to be able to tap 500 taps per minute. Her shoes named Mo and Joe were later exhibited at the Smithsonian. I believe it. Before this, she was in Stage Door, You Can't Take It With You, Melody Ranch, Easter Parade, and The Kissing Bandit. After this, Watch the Birdie, Kiss Me Kate, she played the lead, Deep in My Heart, The Opposite Sex, The Great American Pastime, and... After retiring and deciding she wasn't interested in making movies, she came back for David Lynch's Mulholland Drive for her final film role. You know what she was after? I don't remember. She One of the things that she stopped liking doing film was because there was too much sex and vulgarity in it. Which is ironic because then she did Mulholland Drive, which is full of sex and vulgarity. Yeah. One other fun note with all of this. A lot of these people were longtime Republicans, big fans of the Reagans. All of them. All of them. Anyway. I miss when Hollywood was just full of crazy people and socialists. It was so fun. You could go anywhere and just be like, hey, you want to talk about the weirdest thing you've seen today? And they would say, let me tell you a story. Let's see how we can one up each other. (laughs) What do we think of Ann Miller in this movie? I mean, she's great. (laughs) She's... she's (laughs) She's probably my favorite part, to be honest, because that woman is a legend. She's amazing. And she can she can sing and dance around any one of those boys. She makes the most cringeworthy song in this musical still watchable like now. Yeah. Like if if there were any less amazing dancing going on in that sequence, that sequence would be unwatchable. Mm hmm. 
but it's not because she's so good. <laughs> Part of my tra uh, my dark theater kid backstory is that I did ballet and tap for like eight hmm. years, and then we moved one out of like six hundred times, and I just ended up stopping. But I did get to the point where you do kind of know how to do a time step, so that is the extent of my tap knowledge. Okay, just watching her, um, and like watching her footwork is like. Oh my gosh, because some of the hardest part of, of tap is, you know, not all like the crazy moves, but just getting your foot to move back and forth to create those specific Sound. sounds. And like she's carrying the beat. So that's some serious like control and skill. Yeah, she's just she's just that fucking good. She's that good. That huge amount of charm pulls straight through into her acting as well. Like, I, I, there's a level of she just has so much confidence in her ability as a performer that it just carries right through to the character and just makes it perfect because then she's playing opposite the clown. But she's so fun. And she's sarcastic enough to undercut him perfectly. I could take a movie of just the two of them. Yeah, it's true. That's, that's how much fun those two are to watch. You can imagine seeing this on stage being like, oh, yeah, they're the show stealers. Whoever plays these two characters just yeah. wins the whole thing every time. They, they, they got to have that something. Yeah. They've got to have that weird showmance that's happening backstage that everyone's kind yep. of eagerly watching of just like, all righty. Mm -hmm. So is this going to be interesting or are we going <laughs> to get kicked out of Denny's again? <laughs> One of her takes of the prehistoric man sequence got ruined because of her costume. She was dancing a little close to the dinosaur and doing her trademark spins while tapping. The skirt brushed against the bones of the dinosaur caused the entire exhibit to fall down. Now, this is not a real dinosaur exhibit. This was a stage prop, but they did have to put it all back together. So filming had to shut down for a bit. <laughs> I would have changed my name and moved countries after that. <laughs> This is Ann fucking Miller. She doesn't care. And she immediately went, it's my costume, goddammit. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, well, that happened. Mm -hmm. Shots on me. <laughs> I'll help pick up the bones. The other fun story about Ann Miller not related to this film is that she said in an interview with Turner Classic Movies that at one time she had to have her stockings sewn into her costume while dancing. And the need to do that every time especially when there were runs when they had to change out stockings became so frustrating that she finally went to the hose supplier and asked could they just add a top to wear it as a single piece thus history was made and pantyhose were born she is the reason pantyhose exists which is Iconic. both amazing and also you're the devil <laughs> <laughs> i haven't worn them in years but Same. from what i remember it sucked tights still exist so yeah but for this practical purpose, I get it. Absolutely. I get it. It's dancer equipment that you need. And then you and then you rip them because you were running across the driveway without your ballet shoes on. And your mom was like, don't do that. You're going to rip them up. And then you fall and the recitals tomorrow. And she's oh. like, <gasps> so mad. At you. Oh, all yeah. right. Let's go to Big Stance Supply. Come on, everyone. Get in the minivan. And finally, we have Vera Ellen playing Ivy Smith. She started performing at 10 years old, only a few years later became one of the youngest Rockettes ever. However, she got fired from the Rockettes after two weeks because she showed too much personality. Don't you love that period of time for women? Be hot, but don't have a personality. There is an element of the Rockettes are a uniform group. They yes. have to all show the same thing. 
Vera Ellen has so much charm. I can imagine a producer not even meaning it as an insult, but just being like, you stand out way too much from everybody else. You need to go be a movie star. Fair. Like, it's not you, it's us. Pretty much. I, yeah, I mean, that's fair with the rocket. I, it is truly. <laughs> I, I mean, they only just recently started having people of color, truly. That's part of it, too. Uh, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> it's, it's bad. But her hair is amazing. It is. So she was mostly a stage performer and a dancer, but before this, she did Wonder Man, The Kid from Brooklyn, and Words and Music. After this, these little words, Happy Go Lovely, Call Me Madam, and White Christmas. <sighs> Big movie in our house during the holiday season. Mm -hmm. My dad loves that movie. What do we think of Vera Ellen in this movie? She's so cute. She's, she's just precious. I want to hold a door for her. She's perfect for that role. Mm -hmm. She is perfect to play just that little sprite that is trying so hard to be a sophisticated New Yorker, but is totally not a sophisticated New Yorker. Her accent shift, you, you know a way somebody does good accent work when they're able to like do the requested shift like while still talking, and like you don't really even notice it until she gets to the final line and she's like talking in the Midwestern accent, and you're mm -hmm. like, oh my god. She just dropped, wow. Like, that's impressive. Just that whole sequence where she's fudging it with Gene Kelly in the dance studio. Mm -hmm. She's been like, why, yes, yes, I am going to all these parties. And the transatlantic accent is hard. Like, I had to, I had to learn that for um, Play On in uh, high school because I was Phyllis. And they made me do a transatlantic accent. It's hard. It goes against every single rule of living in Ohio. <laughs> I can see that, yes. It's like, you want me to do what? It would it would go against every rule in Texas as well. Yeah. We, we need to draw that out, please. I, I, I ain't doing that. I'll talk like <laughs> a fancy Southern person, but I ain't doing New England. Mm -mm. I walked off the stage and I started talking to one of the ladies um, that was there. And she's like, oh, my God, you sound so different. And I'm like, thank you. I spent five years in South Carolina. This doesn't come off easy. It's <laughs> <laughs> really hard. She's just a cute little sprite. She's so good. And her dancing is fabulous. I, I mean, her turnstile sequence is adorable. They, they had to have the most skilled dancer paired up with Gene Kelly. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is wild to think about that singing in the rain happens two years later and the horror stories that we know about Debbie Reynolds talking about working with him and the fact that she's, you know, basically having to learn how to dance because she's working with this guy. But clearly, just all their sequences, especially in the ballet room, when it is just, it's one of the smoothest dances I've ever seen. It's two people who are like, okay, you're on my level. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep on going, and I know you're going to keep up. Mm -hmm. And that's always so fun to see. The, the fluidity that they have in that scene where Gene is like, it's something he does, and, and we know it especially from, from the Singing in the Rain sequence, but the way that he shifts his weight where he just gently leans, you know he's completely in control, but it looks like he could fall over, and it looks like he's just moving with whatever faint breeze is in the room. Like, she matches him the whole sequence. She's that good a dancer. The fact that she does that whole ballet sequence as Miss Turnstiles mm -hmm. in five different dance styles in like five minutes where she's like jungle gymming on the ballet bars mm -hmm. it's that's wild. incredible it's so well done i i liked what you said about 
her just matching him so well it, it, when I was watching it, it reminded me of like this is what everybody talks about with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and it's like they just have this symbiotic like they're drift dance. compatible yeah mm-hmm. it's just like they are like they're just like one thing one being dancing together it's very well done they're very well matched and of course she's the only one that's in the ballet sequence with him yep because she's the only one that he thinks can pull it off (laughs) it's that but which also works for the dream because it's his yeah thinking about what happened which i was just like yep it's just him and that chick it's true which is great other fun fact about vera ellen in cincinnati where she was from she studied dance with one doris day okay really they both studied dance together i think her picture's in ccm I think her picture somewhere in CCM. It is entirely possible. I would not be surprised. <laughs> and now we move to Arpons, random people of note, people who might be a big deal, but weren't in the movie long enough for us to be able to give their full credits. We start with Alice Pierce playing Lucy Schmieler. She originated this role on Broadway, is the only Broadway cast member to appear in the film, and she played snooping neighbor Gladys Kravitz on Bewitched. Her final role. I recognized her for that. <laughs> like, it's that lady. So fucking funny. Mm-hmm. She's uh, definitely working with a um with a role that's that's interesting. You know, she's it's kind of a punching bag role, but she does it so well. Well, and I love the fact that they give her that final moment, and Gene Kelly's like, "I treated you so bad," and she goes, "It was so much fun. You have no idea how I never get to do this." Mm-hmm. Like the song that they have, and she gets to be equal weight in that song. Like there was a level, it's like, oh God, it's just going to be a punching bag character. And then slowly they pull her into the story in a really good way. This is just like dogfight. <laughs> B. Benaderet playing a Brooklyn girl on the subway. This is her film debut. She would probably know her as the original voice of Betty Rubble and Granny from Looney Tunes. I was a boomerang kid growing up. That's, <laughs> that's amazing to me. That. It's very cool. Oh, there's some Arpon pulls here. How about Don Brody playing a photo layout man? He was the motion reference for the old hag in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> you probably don't even see him in the movie. Like, I don't even know who he That's was. That's crazy, though. That's a very important job. That's amazing. Hans Conried playing Francois, the head waiter at the club. He is the voice of Captain Hook and Mr. Darling from Peter Pan and snidely whiplash from Dudley Do-Right. Jean Coyne, playing a dancer in the day in New York Ballet. She was Jean Kelly's longtime assistant and eventual wife. At the time, she was married to Stanley Donan. Jean and Jean, interesting ceremony. Uh-huh. No, but like his co-director, he stole her his wife. That's Jean Kelly for you. I mean, I... He's I gonna mean, steal I... your girl and tap dance through it. Now we'll say they divorced in 51, she and Gene Kelly did not get married until 1960. Okay. There was a long so, way. So it may not have been directly related. They just knew each other for sure. Classy. Fair. Fair. Or kept their shit on the down low. <laughs> it's Gene Kelly. He's, he's so smooth. He'll steal your girl. Won't even know it. Wait 10 years. Hey, I'm going to marry your ex-wife. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't see anything suspicious about this time Can frame. I be the best man? Tom Dugan played Officer Tracy in Car 44. His claim to fame is that he was one of the actors chosen to appear in the first ever all-talking feature, Lights of New York, in 1928. Topical. 
Carol Haney playing a dancer in the Day in New York Ballet. This is her film debut. She mostly did stage and won a Tony for playing the lead in The Pajama Game, was a favorite dancer of Bob Fosse, and she is inadvertently responsible for the stardom of one of our favorite Macintosh and Mod stars, Shirley MacLaine. See, Shirley was a chorus girl in The Pajama Game and was Carol's understudy. Carol fractured her ankle during the run of the show and Shirley filled in for her. It's 42nd Street! One night, producer Halby Wallace saw Shirley MacLaine, signed her to a movie contract, and launched her career. Oh, cool. We stand Shirley MacLaine here. She's done fantastic she's work. Amazing. Good for her. Carol Haney has a fun footnote in movie history. Milton Kibbe playing the sign poster. If that last name sounds familiar, it's because we mentioned his brother, Guy Kibbe, in 42nd Street playing the Rube Abner. The fun fact is that Milton actually appeared in three times the films that his brother did, but Guy had a bigger profile because he had more notable roles. Milton mm. was more of just an everyday extra. Hank Mann, playing Max the Photographer, he appeared in a number of Charlie Chaplin's most famous films and was the last survivor of the original Keystone Cops. He also taught pratfalls to Jerry Lewis. Sid Melton, playing Spud, he is best known for a recurring role as Sophia's late husband on The Golden Girls. Alex Romero, playing one of the sailors in Day in New York, he is a longtime dancer and choreographer who worked on An American in Paris mm -hmm. and also choreographed the iconic dance sequence from Jailhouse Rock. Okay. Frank J. Scannell playing Officer Mulrooney. He started his career as a tap dancer and singer at a speakeasy owned by Al Capone. That's a New York presence. That was his first boss. It can only go up from there. Yep. And Robert B. Williams playing the police sergeant in Car 44. This is pretty fun because he also plays the policeman who chases Gene Kelly off the street after singing in the rain. So he had a little character arc, and that character arc was not liking Gene Kelly. Man, some of these extras have fun stories. Yes. <laughs> some of those day players just... IMDB is a treasure trove. Let's move on to trivia. Just a few <laughs> extra notes here. This is where we talk about the Frank Sinatra reference, because Ozzy has a line asking Gaby, who you got waiting for you in New York? Ava Gardner. Of course, a not so subtle reference to the fact that Frank Sinatra was having an affair with Ava Gardner at the time. Cheeky. I love it. That's the <laughs> film version of a subtweet. It's really good. Miss Turnstiles was an actual thing. It wasn't called Miss Turnstiles. It was called Miss Subways. They displayed pictures of local women who lived and worked in New York City from 1941 to 1976. Now I'm waiting to hear that Subway the Sandwich Company has this a la like Hooters girl, but Subway lady. I don't think they can ever do that anymore after their spokesperson. I think oh, they're a little busy kind of covering for their tuna. They can't they can't ever go back down that route again. They need corporate spokespeople. Oh, no, I forgot. I forgot about that, David. Yep. Is their bread still legally not allowed to be classified as bread because of the amount of sugar in it? Oh, there's also all that shit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about the bread, but I think we are still having some d discussion as to whether or not the tuna can actually be called tuna. There's the tuna debate. <laughs> I'm so glad we got a Jersey Mike's over here. The original lyrics to New York, New York do state it is a hell of a town. The Breen office did not allow them to use that for this film, but it is in the musical. 
Hell of a Town works so much better than Wonderful Town. You just, you're waiting for Hell of a Town. They're Navy guys. Come on. Speaking of our discussions of how not heterosexual this movie is, (laughs) one of the original taglines for the film was twice as gay as Anchors Away. Now, there is actually a a legitimate reason for this. Society if. (laughs) Anchors Away at the time had been criticized for being dull. It was too long. It was boring. It didn't have as enough of a story. So they marketed this as more exciting and used the phrase twice as gay as Anchors Away. (laughs) And, you know, obviously the um, the Bushwick and the uh, San Francisco crowd turned out in droves to see if the promise was dealt with. I mean, it's pretty gay. How, How about let's go gay the other way? Because at one point, Betty Garrett offers her hand to Ann Miller saying, Dr. Kinsey, I presume. This, of course, is a reference to Alfred Kinsey, whose first book was published just one year earlier. The good old five to six to one. Holy crap. We talked about the innuendo in this movie. They throw so much of it in there. And like for most people, I'm sure it went straight under the radar. But if people knew, people fucking knew. Mm-hmm. The thing is, Dr. Kinsey, I presume, could in fact be a come online if you both went to psych school. Oh, sure. I mean, Betty Garrett's been to the psych school of driving a New York taxi cab for however many years. So. <laughs> She's learned so much in that car. I'm sure she also knows plenty to talk to the anthropologist. That is a woman on the town. And that brings us to awards. It was nominated for one Oscar. It won that Oscar. It was for best musical score. Yay. Okay. Good old Leonard. He got his, he got his due. I mean, the music's fucking great. So it's fine. And that brings us to ratings. So for every film, we have a specific rating system that we take from the movie for this movie. (sighs) Would you call it a heck of a time, a hell of a time, or a fuck of a time? I mean, I'm trying to figure out props here, you know? Turnstiles. We've got posters. We've got got subway turnstiles. That's probably our best option at this point. There's a whole song about that. Yeah. How many turnstiles are we going to give this movie? Diana, we'll start with you. Mm, I'm going to give it two out of five. Whoa! I was not prepared for that. Like one whole point is for Ann Miller. (laughs) Here's what comes down to for me. I'm not going to watch this again because the story sucks. (laughs) I love the hook, but the story sucks. So I don't find it entertaining enough. So I'm not going to watch this again. But Anna Miller is a treasure and everybody else is also super entertaining. So they get the rest of the point. So it's it's a two for me. I was I was not prepared for that, but it was my gut instincts. There you go. That's 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 what we go with as well. Newt, how many turnstiles are you going to give this film? I'm going to bump it up to a three with the caveat with the little star at the top that says, if you want to go into film history and you want to like trace that timeline, you should be watching this movie before you watch Singing in the Rain on your little list of things to watch because it's foundational. Sure. You know, it's it's got it shows a lot of really good techniques. It shows, like you said, actors at the height of their prime. And, you know, is the story deserving of any awards? No. But, you know, it's a good jumping off point. Mm-hmm. You can see where a lot of stuff came from. And that's always interesting to watch with that in mind. I'm going to go three as well, because I probably would watch it again, because I just find it so flippin' entertaining. I would probably fast forward through Prehistoric Man 
eventually i might watch i'm gonna watch a little bit of ann miller and be like wow and then be like okay i don't need to watch any more of that it's just so much fucking fun though like the whole thing no matter what i'm not bored i'm entertained it it's so punchy and fast and fun and it really is fun to look at and go wow they set up a whole bunch of stuff with this movie that they were going to perfect later on and it's it's wild to see that knowing we watched singing in the rain like three years ago at this point oh that was in year one so it was four years ago that wow was and just like realizing how how much they were starting to figure some of that out as directors and that means we are at the end of this episode newt thank you so much for talking about this movie with us yeah. thank you I, I love this genre and you know i don't get to talk about it enough this was fun and if people wanted to find you on the interwebs or anywhere else where would they find you um well hopefully not on twitter too much um but like you said, I do I do podcasts. You can check out all of my shows, uh, Inkworm, and then Where the Stars Fell is currently airing, and we're getting ready to jump into season two. Um, if you like crazy things, we've got crazy things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Newt Schott, um, S-C-H-O-T-T, because my last name is super duper long. And yeah, you know, talk to me about musicals. It's fun, and I'll, uh, I'll probably hit the character limit pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many more musicals we have to cover so many we have so many you're in for a great time all right but before we go we have some new movies we've seen yes we saw venom let there be carnage eddie brock attempts to reignite his career by interviewing serial killer cletus cassidy who becomes the host of the symbiote carnage and escapes prison after a failed execution. Boy, this movie's dumb in the best way. So if you heard us talk about Venom, like originally we were really down on the original Venom and that like, we were like, we don't care about that. We're not going to go see it. So we didn't. And then I believe it's, we saw the trailer for the new one, like six, nine months ago. And we were like, you know, that looks like fun. And so many people have said that Venom is fun. We need to watch it. And it was available. And we're just like, we're watching this movie. We need something light and stupid to enjoy. And we had so much fun watching Venom. Boy, it did disappoint on the light and stupid. Light, stupid, punchy, punchy movie. Like, cool. We're here for that. So we had to go see this. And it was delightful. And it was 90 minutes long. They know exactly who the audience is for this. I love the fact that critics have just panned this movie. It's like, well, what, what, what garbage and just pandering. And it was like, yeah, that's the point of Venom. Like, Venom's an ass. I, I do understand a little bit that people were like, you know, you had a really interesting pseudo bromance story mm -hmm. that seemed more interesting than the superhero story you were telling. And I'm like, I get that. It would be fun if they decided, well, now we're just going to have, you know, Eddie deal with Venom. And what does that look like? Because that is a fun story to tell. But it's a punchy, punchy movie. You got to have the punchy, punchies. Like, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yep. Really, the most fun parts of the movie are watching Eddie reckon with the fact that he has an alien symbiote in his body. What does that mean for his life as a person? <laughs> what does it mean for Venom as a symbiote? Yep. <laughs> Tom Hardy is having so much goddamn fun. He's definitely having fun because he does do the voice of Venom, which is great. 
it's just fun. So go see it. It's fun. And I don't think you have to have seen the first one to be able to see the second one. Don't like, hurt. I think there's enough context for you to be like, okay, cool. But it's just fun. Go watch it. We also saw No Time to Die. James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Okay, this is going to be our non-spoiler review. It'll be quick. We will have a very long reactionary, how does it fit into the world of Bond? Because we've done all of the Bonds and we waited a year and a half for this fucking movie. It's been so long. It was worth it. I feel good. I got a little teary, which I did not expect. Neither did I. But it was fun. It, like It had the elements... I needed there was like maybe one or two things I would have changed because I'm me but it was so fun and they did a good job and they they did a good job saying goodbye to this bond like I feel good leaving him there's a handful of things from this movie that don't work as well as some of our others sure I still think you know between us we both agree Skyfall Casino Royale best and this doesn't quite get there but it's still fun it still fits in very well. It lands where it needs to. It does a lot and it sets up whatever the franchise is going to become in a really great way. So we loved it. You have to go see it. You just have to go see it. Especially if you've listened to all our fucking stuff talking about it. Come on. Seriously. But that'll be coming out in a week or so because we have to collect more of our thoughts because it's it's going to be a lot of, lot of stuff. Oh my God. There's, there's so much stuff. And then... Add to that all the stuff that they're going to talk about later about how they made it and the choices and all that. Yeah. So that one's coming. It's just going to be a little bit. Just go see it. So until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.